The Army has decided to totally reorganize the way it manages and governs its information technology. In fact, the Army's final serving CIO G6 is about to retire. That's just one development in the Defense Department you'll find in this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook. That reporter, Jared Serbu, joins me now. All right, Jared, let's start with the Army splitting its leadership structure into two and reskilling the workforce. That sounds like a big bite. It is a big bite, and it, it follows really a trend that we've been seeing over the past 18 months of the military services restructuring their IT leadership. You, you could kind of say, depending on how you count, that the Air Force or the Navy went first. But the Army is definitely third in line here. And, and essentially what they're doing is dividing the office that for the last 19 years has been known as the CIO G6 into two. So there will be a CIO. And there will be a G6. That CIO will most likely be a senior civilian, although they haven't said that for sure yet. But that person, whoever it is, will report directly to the Secretary of the Army and have really a a traditional federal CIO role, be involved in making IT policy, overseeing budgets, approving the overall services IT budget. And then the, the G6, who will also be a senior person, will be a lieutenant general, deputy chief of staff of the Army, will will have more of a role in implementing those IT policies and executing those IT policies. So it, it a lot of this still has yet to be worked out, but that G6 is, is still going to continue to be doing what that what, what what that CIO G6 is doing, except they're they're bifurcating those two roles um, in, in, into into two different organizations. And again, still to be determined which employees from the CIO G6 workforce go to each of the new organizations. Does this take away from the G6? I mean, uh, Lieutenant General Crawford, I believe, is the G6. Does he lose authority or lose purview? Well, he's he's pretty sure we're, he's getting set to retire. Uh, he's, he's three years into the job now, so he will probably be the last CIO G6. By August 31st, when these changes are set to take effect, there would be a new nominee for the CIO G6 anyway. So that 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 new that new appointee, that which is a Senate con- con- confirmed position, will end up being just the G6 as opposed to the CIO G6. And, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily a loss of authority. It's just, I think it's going to allow the G6 to focus more on execution and implementation and not have to worry about the policymaking focus so much. That's going to move over to this separate civilian CIO function, which is, you know, the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy have all done their reorgs in slightly different ways. But I think the common thread between all of them is in various ways they have elevated the role of the CIO. When when you go back to the sort of post-Klinger-Cohen era, right after that law took effect, the, the default reaction by the military services in general was to find a senior official that already existed in the military services, the six in most cases, and just say, okay, this is also our new CIO. The Army's point of view on this is technology has moved along in in, in ways that 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 no longer makes sense, that you really do want a dedicated official who's focused on all of these new terms that, that the federal IT community has been focused on so much lately, you know, data analytics, data management, um, cybersecurity. And, and, and so, you know, you really do need that separate senior official to be focused on policymaking, long-term strategic thinking, and then have a separate person focused on execution. Seems to be the direction the Army's going. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and switching gears here, this ZTE, Huawei ban, there's a statutory limit coming for a new rule to take effect, and yet they haven't even proposed the rule yet, let alone have it take effect. Later on in the hour, we speak with David Berto of the Professional Services Council to get their take on it. But this is really a bad crunch, and I guess Ellen Lord has weighed in here. 
Yeah, as you say, industry has made pretty clear to Congress that this new deadline for, it's not a new deadline, but the latest deadline for ZTE and Huawei removal is pretty well unworkable. Um, as, as we've talked about many times before, last August, the first of these deadlines took effect, and that essentially removed ZTE and Huawei equipment from federal contracting. In other words, said that you cannot use that equipment in, in something that you're delivering to the government. This new one is much more far-reaching, and it essentially says if you are a defense contractor neither you nor any of your subcontractors can have ZTE or Huawei equipment installed anywhere you know on your premises in your networks whether it's being used in a federal contract or not and you know it goes down into you know multiple tiers of the supply chain so it's very difficult to locate all of that and remove all of that by the new deadline which is August of 2020 so as you suggested industry has asked for an extension Ellen Lord the undersecretary Secretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment indicated last week at a House hearing that she agrees with the need for that extension. She says the department's still very supportive of this rule and that will it will enhance cybersecurity over the long run, but especially considering all the challenges the defense industry has had in recent months around COVID-19, it's just impractical to expect everybody to remove all of that equipment completely from their supply chain with any level of assurance. And unfortunately, although Ellen Lord is most likely, most probably speaking without any thoughts of the politics of this just as a practical matter of fulfilling policy of Congress. But it's going to get caught up in politics anyhow, isn't it? I think that's inevitable. But yes, I agree with you. I don't think there's any any whiff of, of you know, political considerations as to whether this is a good idea or not. I think it's a fairly uniform view in the Pentagon and throughout the national security community that it's just a bad idea to have um, equipment that's made by these two companies anywhere in the supply chain where it could come in contact with national security systems. And I think this is going to be a pretty difficult rule to write. This is going to get to what does the meaning of is is type of detail because of how deeply embedded so much Chinese technology is even in mundane items like cameras. That's right. And the statute is not super clear on exactly what Congress considers, you know, a target for removal. It just says companies who make, quote, substantial use of ZTE and Huawei systems can't be part of the federal contracting federal contracting process. And as Secretary Lord pointed out, you know, one way you could read that, depending on how the how the regulation is written, is, you know, a company that's six levels down in the supply chain has a security camera in their parking lot that's made by ZTE. That would then potentially disqualify the prime contractor from from participating in defense contracts. So that th- there really does need to be some clarity brought to this through the federal rulemaking process. And as you say, that has not happened yet. And finally, we shouldn't leave you, Jared, without talking about the transcom deal or the lack of a deal that the military is pulling out of for something that's a very big ticket item every year. Not quite pulling out of, but but certainly delaying right now. Just to refer to people's memories, this was a brand new contract that Transportation Command was using to really overhaul the way that military moves are managed each year. The way things stand now, there are a bunch of regional commands that just contract with local community, local moving companies on a move-by-move basis. And the idea here is to create a single managed service provider that, that gets into those long-term contracts with all of those moving companies and, and gives the department a much more centralized view of the entire move industry and how to allocate that work. They did award that contract worth $7.2 billion to American Roll-On, Roll-Off Carrier Group uh, this spring. For reasons we don't fully understand yet, they have now pulled back the contract, saying they're now going to take corrective action 
uh, that that is in response to two separate bid protests that were filed by losing bidders at the Government Accountability Office. So that corrective action is in some way response to those to those two bid protests. Transcom says they're going to try and address the issues over the next couple of weeks, but we don't know what the issues are. Other than they say that there were some some problems that were brought to their attention by quote unquote an interested party. Well, that's a wait and see, I guess. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Check out his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.